Welcome to yet another episode of Game of Thrones Abridged, the most aerodynamic of YouTube series built for high-speed maneuvers in order to get you through this book series that we call Game of Thrones. Today we are reading John 3, A Game of Thrones, the third Jon Snow chapter, and it is a good one. It's got some character development, it's got some sword fights, it's got some Tyrion dialogue, it's got, uh, it's got juggling wolves, or at least speech thereof. And so, strap in for this chapter. Uh, it begins with a description of a song of swords filling the courtyard, because the recruits to the Night's Watch are practicing at swords, they're practicing sword fighting, they're training, uh, they're generating some XP, and uh, John is demolishing uh, a boy called Gren. Uh, he's he's doing all these sword fighting moves, he's doing sweeping blows and overhands and side swings, and he crunches his blade. His blade? His blade into the back of the other boy's leg. These aren't sharp swords, these are blunt training swords, but still, they are enough to crunch against Gren's leg. Uh, and and John finishes Gren with a slash to the wrist that brings a cry of pain. So John dispatches Gren skillfully, and then Sir Alistair Thorne, this character Sir Alistair Thorne, who is the master at arms at the castle black, says, Enough! He speaks with a voice that has an edge like Valyrian steel. Which is a cool description of a voice. I mean, it, it just means really sharp. He has a sharp voice. Though I'm not quite sure what that would sound like, really. What does a sharp voice sound like? Sort of staccato? I don't know. But that's what Alice Thorne has. And Alice Thorne uh, is sort of wrangling these recruits and trying to train them into good sword fighters. Uh, and he's uh, not the not the... Not the most soft-handed of, of of mentors. Alyssa is hard and cruel and sharp-voiced. Uh, uh, but yeah, anyway, so so Gren, the Aurochs, they call him, he's been knocked down, and some of the other recruits around include uh, a bloke called Jaron and a bloke called Toad, uh, and Jon Snow has beaten them, beaten them all. Uh, and Alyssa is like... Um, Oh, your leg's hurting, Lord Snow, because they call him Lord Snow uh, as like a mocking, a mocking voice. They're making fun of him for being uh, the son of a lord, and they're making fun of him for being a bastard, so they call him Lord Snow. Uh, and and John is like, oh yeah, I won the fight, I won. <laughs> but but Alistair just makes fun of him more. So we see that there's a lot of resentment going on between pretty much everyone who's here right now. John hates the other boys. Thorn hates John. Thorn hates the <laughs> Thorn hates the other guys. Everyone kind of hates each other uh, here. John hates the boys, the other recruits, uh, because they're a bit shit and they're all sort of criminals and they're all sort of these sort of rough nut blokes. 
uh, which is maybe not the most fair reason to hate someone. The blokes, the boys, the recruits, they hate John because he's this prancing, high-born, skilled, oh, I'm better than you. That's how they see John, so that's why they hate him. And Alistair hates everyone because... He's just kind of a cunt, really. I mean, in the show, Alistair has this interesting sort of redemptive thing where they show how a lot of Alistair Thorne's sort of hardness and cruelty just comes from, like, a passionate, sincere, like, 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 uh, feeling of loyalty to the idea of the Night's Watch. And, you know, he's harsh to these people because he wants them to become brothers of the Watch. In the books, we don't have that so much with Alistair. In the books, Alistair really is just kind of a bit awful as a person, sort of. Uh, and so Alistair says, oh, you guys are so fucking incompetent. Uh, if, if the others, the White Walkers, ever come for us, I pray the White Walkers have archers, because you guys are useless as anything other than arrow fodder. Uh, which is kind of funny, but also a reminder that the White Walkers are a thing. Uh, a thing that no one really thinks is a serious threat, but which in the prologue we've learned are very real indeed. So anyway, John walks back to the armory, and he walks alone. Uh, and so he's being a loner here at the Night's Watch. He thinks he's better than all of these other recruits, and the recruits all hate him. Uh, despises them, John feels. He despises them. Uh, he doesn't really make clear why he despises these other boys. I, I think mostly he despises the other boys, because the other boys despise him, because of his air of superiority. Um... And he sort of, John complains about how cold it is, he talks about, and there's a line that says that soon John will forget what it feels like to be warm, uh, which echoes that thing that Bran said in the recent Bran chapter, where Bran was up in the sky in his vision and he saw John in his cell in the Night's Watch forgetting what it means to feel warm. Um, Though, you know, it's not only just a reference to that, because... It says, yeah, in a few years, John would forget what it feels like to be warm. Which, a few years, that actually lines up timeline-wise with with the end of Dance of Dragons when John gets stabbed to death. Remember, like, the, the last word of John's chapter where he gets stabbed to death... It says John feels John only feels the cold, or John feels just the cold, or something like that. Uh, so it could be that all, all this talk of John forgetting what it means to feel warm might be referring in some way to John's feeling of coldness in his death, and possibly beyond, because we don't know what kind of person John's going to be when he gets resurrected in the books. In the show, he seems about the same. In the books, he might not be the Jon Snow we know and love. Anyway, uh, so John's in the armory... Uh, he's, and he's moping, uh, he's being a teenager, he's like, it's so cold, uh, no one told me that the Night's Watch was this bad, uh, which, which, you know, it, to some extent is fair enough. Um, everyone sort of let him believe that the Night's Watch was like this noble, valiant band of brothers who defended the realm, when in actual fact they're a bunch of under-resourced criminals who sit around in the cold most of the time. Um, and John wonders if his father Ned had known about how shitty the wall was. Um, and he figures Ned must have known, and so he feels bad about that. Uh, which, interestingly, so yeah, Ned Ned probably did know that the wall is a bit shit, but we also know that Ned knows other things. Ned knows the truth of John's birth. 
Uh, Ned knows that John is a Targaryen, if the R plus L equals J theory is true. And so it's probable that a lot of the reason why John ended up at the Wall was partly because Ned Stark wanted to protect John from Robert Baratheon and from politics and from anything that might exploit John as a potential heir to the throne, as like a pretender or something, you know? So it might be that that's why uh, Ned consented to send John to the Wall. Uh, there are things that Ned knows that John doesn't. That John John knows nothing. Um, and he talks about Benjamin Stark and how you know he was sort of hoping and imagining that he'd get to hang out with Benjamin Stark all the time when he came to the Wall, but he hasn't been able to do that. Benjamin has had other responsibilities, uh, and Benjamin Benjamin has just gone off on a ranging on an expedition beyond the Wall, and he didn't take John with him. And John was like, "I want to come too. It'll be fun. It'll be an adventure." And Benjamin's like, "You're a fucking boy. You're a kid." And you don't get to come on rangings and stuff until you've proved yourself and you've earned the right. Uh, you don't get special treatment here just because you're my nephew. Well, you, you, you're a brother of the Night's Watch now, and we're all equals, and you got to earn shit. Uh, and John's like, oh, but I'm a, I'm a man. I'm almost 15. <laughs> uh, so he acts like a mopey kid. Uh, and Benjamin's like, nope, man up. Um... And so Benjamin leaves. And of course, Benjamin never returns. Uh, but before he leaves, uh, he tells John, We'll speak when I return. Which is not the first time John's heard that. Uh, well, actually, well, in the, in the show, Ned tells John before Ned leaves, n- leaves never to return. Uh, Ned tells John, We'll talk about your mother when I get back. And of course, he tragically never gets back. Here in the books, uh, Benjamin tells John, We'll speak when I return. And of course, Benjamin never comes back. Uh, so John, yeah, so that sucks for John. Uh, of course, that also raises the whole mystery of what happened to Benjamin Stark. In the show, Benjamin turns into, like, a zombie white guy, uh, kind of like Coltans. Uh, but it seems unlikely that that same thing will happen in the books, given that in the books we, we have Coltans. So it is a legitimate mystery still, what happened to Benjamin. Um, might be, we'll never find out. Uh... But John, here and now, while Benjamin is leaving, John has this sort of angry vision of seeing Benjamin Stark lying dead with his blood red across the snow. So John imagines Benjamin killed, and it might well be that that vision comes to pass. Um, And so John's complaining some more about how he's a loner. He thinks a bit about the gods. Um, He sort of thinks, well, if the gods are real, then... They're pricks, uh, because I'm having a rough time, uh, so he doesn't really care about the gods, and he talks about how he misses his family. He misses Rickon, he misses Rob, he misses Sansa and Arya. He misses Sansa, even though Sansa never called him anything but but a half-brother, ever since she found out what bastard meant, so Sansa was always mean to Jon because of the whole status bastard thing. But he misses Arya most of all, because he had that nice relationship with Arya. Arya never seemed to fit just like John never seemed to fit. Um, because Aya, of course, didn't fit into the whole ladylike thing. Uh, but anyway, so Aya's sort of moping and missing his family in the armory when the other blokes, some of the recruits, some of the boys, come in and confront him. So Gren is pissed off that John uh, injured his uh, wrist. Uh, and so the other blokes towed... Uh, and a couple of rapers from Down in the Fingers. All, all these recruits come up and confront John, and John is defiant, and they sort of rough up John a bit. They sort of hurt John's arm because John's outnumbered. 
Um, and the and the and the blokes they provoke John by saying, "Ooh." Uh, who, who was your mother, some whore, you bastard? And that hits John where it hurts. Because uh, John is, of course, very sort of sensitive about who his mother is and his bastardy. Um, and, you know, the assumption is, at this point, that John's mother is some whore, some prostitute. Um, though, of course, she's probably Leanna Stark. Um, but whatever, so they fight uh, John and the, and the boys... Uh, and it doesn't go well for John because he's outnumbered four to one. But then the fight is broken up by Donal Noy, this character Donal Noy. He's the armorer at the Night's Watch, and he r- bursts in and says, "Stop it, you bloody monkeys! End the end end this quarrel." Uh, and and they all sort of. It's they're all kids at this point. They're all acting like children. It's like a schoolyard, and the principal has just marched in to say, "What are you doing?" Like that's the sort of tone of what's happening here, um, because all the kids then complain and try to justify their stupid fight to Donald Noy, um, and and Donald Noy's like, "Not nah, enough. Just fucking leave. I don't care. Just don't fight." And so the boys leave, but John stays, um, and Donald Noy lectures John. Uh, and John tries to justify, oh, but uh, but they they said my mum was a whore, so it's okay for me to fight them. Yeah. And then Donald Noy um, is like, yeah, look, I don't care. It doesn't they're just words? Don't get provoked by their nonsense. But John's like, oh no, but you know, my my father Ned Stark, he was not a man to sleep with whores. He was so honourable. Uh, and then Donald Noy was like, well, that clearly didn't stop him from fathering a bastard, then, did it? Um, so, which raises, like, this real point of tension in John's mind. Because, yeah, like, he idolizes his father as this honorable man who would never do something like father a bastard on a prostitute. Uh, but here John is, and the official story is that he's the son of a prostitute or something like that. Um, so that sort of emphasizes this mystery of who is John's parents, R plus L equals J, what's the deal? Uh, we don't have any answers yet, but at this point, uh, we're establishing that that mystery exists. Um, and so we get a description of Donald Noy. Donald Noy has one arm, by the way. Um, he's actually got a really cool backstory. Donald Noy used to be, uh, the smith, the armorer guy at Storm's End, uh, which is where the Baratheons live. Uh, and Donald Noy apparently was the guy who forged the Warhammer that King Robert used to kill Rhaegar Targaryen at the Battle of the Trident during Robert's Rebellion, which is a pretty cool backstory. Um, but yeah, he, he was, he did some stuff with the Baratheons for a while before he lost his arm and joined the Night's Watch. Um, but anyway, yeah, so John goes on about, he, he talks about, well, he thinks about, uh, his mother and who his mother is, and John says that he imagines his mother's face as being beautiful and highborn with kind eyes, uh, which is just John's imagination, but it probably is all true of, uh, Lyanna Stark. Um... But yeah, Donald Noy gives John a much-needed lecture, where he's basically like, all right, you think you've got it hard, uh, but you don't, <laughs> basically. Uh, uh, Donald Noy talks about how, you know, all these all these blokes out in the yard who you're beating the crap out of, they're all, like, the sons of, like, farmers and wagonmen and poachers, smiths and miners. They've never gotten the opportunity to train with swords before. They've never gotten any experience with stuff. They they come from poor families. They've had hard lives. Whereas you are the son of a lord. You've been trained in sword fighting since birth. So it's hardly bloody fair 
for you to wail on these guys with all of your superior training and expertise. It's not fair for you to beat up these guys in the yard, because Jon Snow gets a lot of satisfaction and pride out of outfighting all these other recruits. But it's it's dumb for him to feel that, uh, given all of the advantages that Jon has. He's the 1% beating up on the 99, so why is he so proud? He should give them a little bit more of a chance, go a little bit easier on them, and so everyone will benefit more from it, and maybe then the recruits won't hate him so much. Um, yeah, but John's like, oh no, but I'm better than they are. So John is really totally just a boy at this beginning, uh, uh, in these early chapters. John's very immature and childish, and it's from this point that he grows into a much more mature man a responsible, less selfish man uh, later on in the series. Um, yeah, yeah. So John's like, yeah, they hate me because I'm better than them. But Donald Noy says, no, they hate you because you act like you're better than them, which is which says it all. Um, so, so Donald Noy is like, stop acting so superior. Stop thinking you're better than everyone else. You just have all these advantages that they don't. It's unfair. So don't be such a kid. Grow up. And he ends his lecture by saying, best you start thinking, Donald Noy says. And so John goes off and has a think. And this is the beginning of John starting to change into a better person. John actually listens to Donald Noy's advice, um, which is one of his better qualities. Like, uh, Like Aya... John has the quality of being open to listening to people, open to changing, open to improving, open to self-reflection, which at the end of the day is what makes people good, like for real. Like I think being open to improving yourself and open to the idea that you might be wrong and open to listening to other people, whoever they may be, is really important. So then John goes off and he has a think, and while he's thinking, he looks up at the wall, and we have some exposition about the significance of the wall. Uh, it's, it's, the wall is apparently the largest structure ever built by the hands of man. But was it built by the hands of man, or was it built by the hands of giants and the children of the forest, or was it built by the magic of the White Walkers? That might make more sense, Martin. The White Walkers, the creatures of ice who make things from ice. Maybe they were the guys who made the Wall of Ice. I don't know. It's a mystery. Uh, but anyway, so the wall is really fucking big and impressive. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and John somehow knows that if the wall would fall, the world would fall with it. So the wall is this centrally, magically important place. Um, thing. This fucking hinge upon which the world turns is what the wall is, and then and then and then Tyrion Lannister turns up because Tyrion Lannister's hanging around at the Castle Black for a bit of tourism at the moment, uh, and he chats a bit with uh, Tyrion. Tyrion and Jon talk, uh, and Tyrion says, "Oh, there's much to be said for taking people unawares. You never know what you might learn." There's another person who's open to learning, open to new ideas from new people. Tyrion Lannister is big on learning. So yeah, Tyrion's hanging out at the wall. Yeah, Tyrion says, I learn things everywhere I go. Tyrion, too, is adaptable, open to new ideas. Uh, And they talk a bit about the wall, um, and Tyrion sort of suggests that, uh, you know, there must be some special mystical purpose to the wall, uh, because yeah, there are wildlings and shit, but you don't need a 600-foot wall of ice to keep wildlings out. There must be something more 
Um, and Tyrion does his sort of advice again about how, oh, you know, if if they want to give you this teasing name, Lord Snow, well, they, they, they tease me by calling me the Imp, but I embrace that name and I make it mine and that's how I stop it from hurting me. Which, again, is advice that I kind of question because uh, being the Imp does hurt Tyrion in the sense that everyone believing in this caricature, this evil demonized version of Tyrion is part of what... Uh, makes life hard for Tyrion and part of what uh, gets Tyrion uh, makes makes it easy to believe like in Tyrion's trial remember in Tyrion's trial when he's accused of killing Joffrey like when Tyrion is demonized as this imp it's easier for people to believe that he murdered Joffrey even though he didn't and so that contributes to Tyrion being labeled a murderer and having to flee Westeros like Tyrion's whole thing of you should embrace the labels that they put on you I, I don't know if that really is a pragmatic thing to do. Uh, but whatever. Um, so they go off to have some dinner, and they go to the hall, and um, they talk about the decline of the Night's Watch. The Night's Watch used to have uh, 5,000 fighting men at Castle Black, but now there's a tenth of that many, uh, and the buildings are falling into ruin. Uh, there are only three castles occupied on the wall when there used to be uh, lots more. Uh, uh, Jon Snow sees this vision of Benjen Stark dead in the snow again. Uh, they talk about how Benjen... The reason for Benjen's, uh, uh, excursion is to go and look for Waymar Royce, who, of course, was turned into a zombie in the prologue. Um, perhaps the Grumpkins are hungry this year, uh, Tyrion says. So the Snarks and the Grumpkins are these sort of fairy tale boogeymen. Uh, but Tyrion Lannister sort of uses them as an analogy for whatever mystical danger supposedly lies beyond the wall, which, of course, we know is is the White Walkers, who are very real. Uh, anyway, they come in, and they have dinner, and we have some food descriptions, barley, onions, carrots, blah, 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 blah. Um, and Alistair Thorne turns up, and he tells John that the Lord Commander, Joel Mormont, wants to talk to you. There's some important news. Uh, and there's blah, 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 blah. So Tyrion Lannister is a bit... Uh, uh, talks down to Alyssa Thorne um, and the news is about Bran uh, and so so Tyrion Lannister at the mention of Bran he turns to Jon and he says oh I'm, I'm truly sorry about what happened to Bran he says to Jon uh, which of course is very significant because just last chapter we were told by Littlefinger that the knife that was used by the supposed assassin of Bran, that knife was supposedly owned by Tyrion, according to Peter. So right now, the reader, of, the reader's thinking, shit, well, did Tyrion order the assassination of Bran? If so, why is Tyrion seemingly sincerely uh, sympathetic to Jon ab- about Bran? Like, is Tyrion, like, acting here? Or is Tyrion innocent of the crime that Peter tries to frame him for? Of course, the truth is the latter, but the first-time reader doesn't know that. Uh, anyway, so John, uh, so John sprints off uh, to find out what the news is with Bran, so he meets Jill Mormont, the Lord Commander, uh, and he finds out that Bran has woken up, and that Bran is alive, and that Bran will survive. Um, Jill says, oh, well, he's a cripple, though, so that kind of sucks, but John is overjoyed that his brother Bran is alive, so he runs back to the common room, and he grabs Tyrion under the arms, hoists him into the air, and spins him around in a circle. <laughs> There's a lot of this, like, silly physical comedy stuff that happens with Tyrion uh, in the books, like with the flip that he did the other chapter as well, uh, which doesn't happen at all 
uh, in the show. Um, I mean, later on in the books, there's also that stuff where remember when Tyrion like goes um, goes jousting on a pig. He gets like he, when he turns into a slave and he has to joust on a pig against like Penny and and the dog and all that stuff. Like there's all this ridiculous physical comedy stuff that happens with like this slapstick shit that happens with. Uh, the dwarf Tyrion in the books, which somehow never made it into the show. Made a Peter Dinklage. Maybe Peter Dinklage didn't want to ride a pig. Uh, fair enough. Uh, so blah 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 blah. So John is really happy, and uh, the other Du Bois, the the recruits, the other Night's Watch guys are sort of watching suspiciously and curiously at John's joy. And then John turns around and goes. All right, fuck it. I'm going to do some character development this chapter. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, so he turns to Gran and he turns to the other guys and he's like, yo, uh, I'm sorry about hurting your wrist, Gran. I'm sorry about that. And if you want, I can show you how to defend against those kinds of blows. I'll help you be a better swordsman. And then Alistair Thorne, who is the actual armor, uh, actual uh, Master of Arms trainer guy, is like, what, you're going to try and take my fucking job? You think you're better than me. Uh, you'd have an easier time teaching a wolf to juggle than you would training Gren. And John's like, I'll take that wager. I'd love to see Ghost juggle. And then everyone laughs. Uh... Which, honestly, it, it wasn't a very funny line, but everyone laughs anyway. That's something that they often do, especially in movies, I think it's effective. When someone says some, like, mediocre quip, and then the entire hall of people laughs good-heartedly. Uh, which sort of, I think, can make you, like, convince you that the joke is funny, even when it's not. Anyway, so that sort of happens. Uh, the point is that John... That the point is that John is like, okay, fine, I'm going to learn from Donal, Loy's, N- Donal Noy's lecture... I'm going to try and be a better person. Uh, instead of shitting on these other recruits who I'm a better swordsman than, I'm actually going to use my advantages and skills to help them. I'm going to reach out a hand to help these guys and make friends with them instead of being this superior loner mopey kid. I'm going to do what's needed, I'm going to man up, and I'm going to actually have a positive influence. Although in doing so, he's pissed off Alistair Thorne. Alistair Thorne looks at him with the with the acid eyes of an enemy or some shit. Uh, so Alistair Thorne is in a sort of immature way himself, is really, like, annoyed that John would would uh, try to take over Alice's job of training the recruits, which is kind of dumb. Uh, but whatever, Alice hates John for that, but John is manning up and trying to be a better person, uh, which is sort of this first step in John's character journey. In order to kill the boy and let the man be born, John is trying to uh, become more of a leader, become more open to other people's perspectives, and, of course, to build the Night's Watch from its current broken-down, useless state into the sort of institution, powerful thing that it needs to be in order to face the Walkers and the Whites and the long, long night. That's what's happening in this chapter. John 3, A Game of Thrones. Thank you for listening to this episode of Alt Swift. X, I'm glad you enjoyed. I'm just going to assume that you enjoyed it. Just, I'm, I'm. That's a, that's a given. I do have plans um, for another old Swift X series that we may do soon-ish. I think it might be cool. Something a little bit different, not Game of Thrones related. Uh, so I think that could be cool. But you'll you'll know you'll know when it happens. Uh, so yeah, thank you for listening, and see you next time. Cheers.